We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. You're in a lot of trouble, and maybe it's because... Well, sorry, Canada. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Toronto. And because Philly sucks. I feel like I fear Boston most of all out of any of the Eastern Conference teams. Nah. Yeah. Okay. Hello and welcome to another week of the Brew Hoop Podcast, episode 48 this week. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com, returning after a week away. Riley and Kyle thankfully covered with me. And as per usual, we've got the full band back together today. I think for the first time in a while, actually, Uh, all three of us have been together. But glad to be able to talk some bucks with everyone. Um, but before we get into that, just really quick, uh, we're recording this on Sunday afternoon, not too long after the uh, horrific news that came out that Kobe Bryant had died in a helicopter crash. I uh, just wanted to say, obviously, it's uh, awful for all involved. We don't know all of the details yet. So all we're going to say at this point is uh, really too bad for all of the NBA at large. And we know, of course, that, that Giannis held Kobe in incredibly high esteem. So uh, obviously thinking of him and of Kobe's family at this time. Uh, and just, uh, I was going to kick it over to, to Kyle to say something briefly about that Kobe too. Yeah. It's really unfortunate because, you know, I think for the majority of people around our age, especially Kobe was like that guy. Like so most people had an MJ and now, you know, the younger version, like generation has LeBron. And for us, it was kind of like Kobe and it was the impact that he had was just substantial. And just to hear that news or just, it didn't feel real. And it, yeah, it sucks for everyone involved. And, for those that were in the accident and those, you know, family members and friends that were that are affected by this as well. It's just it's really unfortunate. It feels it just feels surreal, I guess. So, yeah, uh, you obviously never expect something like this to, to ever happen. So our, our deepest condolences to all of those affected by that tragedy. There's no easy way to transition from that into Milwaukee Bucks talk, uh, but we're going to do so now regardless and start in with our recaps of the games from the past week. A light week, fellas. Uh, just started off with a 111 to 98 victory over the Chicago Bulls, um, carried over into a 113 106 victory over the Hornets. Of course, the international travel this week gave the Bucks uh, quite a few days off, three days off in between games, which I don't think we've had all season. Uh, so we have, have had plenty of time to digest these two, uh, I would say, incredibly ugly wins, Riley. Um, we'll start with the, uh, the, the Bulls one, though, of course. Giannis gets a triple-double, 28 points, 14 rebounds, 10 assists in 31 minutes. Chris uh, has 24 points on 13 shots, incredible efficiency. Uh, one notable cool thing is that that was 10 wins in a row for the Milwaukee Bucks over the Chicago Bulls, which I believe the broadcast said is the longest for either team in the series. Uh, you know, obviously came in an incredibly ugly fashion with Milwaukee going just 10 of 23 from the free throw, free throw line, 23 turnovers tied to season I. Um, but I'll tell you what, carrying on that victory streak uh, sure seems like something that's right up your alley, Riley. Yeah, I'll be honest. I was shocked when I found out because I'm not a Bulls history expert. Obviously, they were excellent in the 90s, but when the Bucks were atop the world in the 80s, I don't really recall. I know there was, at the end of the 80s, the like Michael Jordan early years, but I had figured we had already reached like something like 10 in the past because you only really have that one decade, but... 
I mean, obviously you're happy to get <laughs> 10 straight wins over the Bulls. It's quite the role reversal from even earlier in the 2000s where, or like the 2010s where it was like the Derrick Rose team and the best we had was Brandon Jennings and Monte Ellis to throw at him, which was <laughs> not a lot of fun viewing for all of us at home. But um, I think when you look at this past game against the Bulls, it's been pretty to type all four of the games that they played this season. I believe that that's the final time we'll face the Bulls, right, this season? Uh, I'll, I think I'll you play that, late. Yeah. So either way, between I mean, the Bulls and the Knicks, I feel like we, they always play each other. <laughs> no, we play them thirty times each a season. But I think it was pretty two type. Where the one difference in this game versus the previous three was the Bulls did not shoot super well from three, and they've gotten up a lot of threes in each of their game. And I would have to look at what their three point attempt rate is. But you know, they've gotten like forty five plus three point attempts in each of the games. I think in this past one, they only shoot twenty nine percent from three. Um, the Bucks obviously they do one better, shoot forty two point three percent from three, even though they only take twenty two sh- or uh, twenty six shots from three, and so it's just kind of typical where Chicago doesn't seem to have the personnel to once Giannis really gets going to try and stop him. I think Giannis has had some of his greatest statistical outings this entire season against the Bulls, just because they don't have the size inside to really try and stop them and they still kind of run like a kid-esque switchy like trap the three-point shooter scheme on defense which um, I'm sure Giannis loves seeing because that keeps the defense kind of off kilter and allows him the opportunity to kind of score or at least get inside one-on-one against somebody so um, if I was to look at this game and say here's one takeaway the only thing would be uh, you go 10 to 23 from the free throw line. Giannis, obviously the worst defender only going three and nine from the free throw line. But, you know, in most of the games, Milwaukee was able to just kind of pound away inside. And once that's the case, I mean, you know, even if you're not shooting well from three, if you're still getting like a 70% plus better shot attempts over on the other end inside, then it's not going to matter at the end of the day. Yeah. I think Kyle, the, the, the thing that stuck out to me was obviously the, the bulls were without Wendell Carter, uh, in this one, so the interior of their defense was basically soft as uh, soft as goo. So you know when you got Luke Cornett, the unicornet out there trying to defend people in the middle, uh, that's just not going to be a recipe for success. And, and the Bucks certainly had their way, leading points in the paint, sixty to thirty-eight. Yeah, kind of the same general approach to playing the balls. They don't have any rim protection, so you just go at them in the paint. And when you have someone like Giannis, that's just a cakewalk. But I, I, there's really not much. Yeah, it was very sloppy. It was very lots of turnovers. I I just don't know. Maybe it was the afternoon game because it started at four. It, but it started at four, so it's not like it started that much earlier. Mm-hmm. But it just felt like the Bucks never hit a second gear, which is sometimes a good thing when it's against a better team. But yeah, it just seemed like they were able to find a successful formula and just going in the paint and getting the buckets that way because they weren't hitting threes, they weren't hitting free throws and nothing else seemed to go well. So thankfully, just going to the paint is the option, but just another ho-hum win against a helpless Bulls team. Yeah, I, I really don't have a whole lot more to say about that game. I, we I, do have uh quick, the honest did get to 10,000 points, career points. I don't know if that's significant. It feels like it's small enough where it's a cool note, but that is the other part that came out of the game was that he mm. got to 10,000. Okay, that is a great note as well. Kudos to Giannis. He kind of took over in the fourth quarter. That's really when that game felt like it was won. He was making a couple of hook, couple push shots in the lane, had a couple of 
nice mid-range jumpers where the you know, defense can't really guard him. So if he's knocking down those, shot, those shots, that's always fun to see. He did a little bit of that in the Hornets game as well, which was, I would say, maybe more ugly, but at least it felt <laughs> a little more rememberable just given the weird context surrounding it, that it was in France and there was everything involved with that. You've got, you know, Marcus Johnson giving a we'll always have Paris lines feeding that to Paschke and it's almost sounded like Paschke didn't even recognize the reference and was like just repeated it back to him to close out the game which was a <laughs> tough look um, but uh, regardless that 113-106 win really the entire game man the Hornets were for the most part ahead uh, the Bucks didn't lead until I believe uh, the third quarter so the Hornets really had the Bucks number for a, a large margin of this game and then uh, the fourth quarter, re- real role reversal. The Bucks are able to take over. Giannis finishes with 30 points, 16 rebounds, 6 assists. Uh, Bledsoe, a, a fine effort, 20 points in that one. Hill had 16 points as well. Uh, but but that one, Riley, was really the Bucks playing just as ugly as they did in the Bulls games for at least three quarters and then kind of flipping it on their head late in the third and going into the fourth. Yeah, it was really interesting. Uh, first, for the Marcus Johnson, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So understand that he was trying something there. And obviously, just the alley-oop did not connect. But about the game more generally, um, I thought it was pretty interesting in that most of the nights, yes, Charlotte would kind of form up a little bit of a wall. But as soon as Giannis would start moving laterally one way or another, they would kind of disassemble it and it seemed like they really put an emphasis on trying to contain guys out on the perimeter and if it was going to be in the paint then so be it and they were going to see whether or not they could have like one-on-one guys and even though Giannis got the numbers that he did and 13 to 19 from the floor that's pretty good obviously the fact that there there were quite a number of those those six missed shots where they did a pretty good job defending him overall, like not fouling. They only got to the foul line for seven free throw attempts. Like all things considered, they defended him quite well, even though he got 30 points. And so it kind of fed into, you already have Giannis. Okay. He's going to go inside. That's fine. If everybody else is kind of limited and most people were, they only made 10, three from the floor at a 27 point or 27% overall from distance. I thought, it was an interesting strategy that maybe they didn't have the personnel to really execute, but you know, how much of it is their defensive scheme through the bucks off versus how much of it was the bucks are just kind of lackadaisical, turning it over a lot and just not playing all that crisply. Like, you know, is this a case of Paris nightlife is undefeated? Can we add that to the global cities that (laughs) give the bucks trouble if they're there for a road game? But um, I, I think you're right that, what the difference was, was just like the Bulls game to kind of the quality at the end, especially in the fourth quarter where you run the starters out and they kind of put it away. But, you know, there wasn't a lot from like even the bench guys besides George Hill. That was all that inspiring. Yeah. And kind of it, like Bucks have been prone to that, but yeah. Yeah. And I, I was going to say, I mean, one, one interesting wrinkle, uh, Kyle, and it feels like this happens all the time with this Hornets team. And maybe it's just a matter of the personnel that they have, or they just like to be wonky, but they always have these, these smaller lineups and the, the Bucks can like start, they start switching against the Hornets defensively because the Hornets like make them do that because they always play really small. So late in the game, Kyle, they went with a, a Giannis at center lineup, which you know, we've seen in the past. It's looked, you know, I think it's had sort of a mixed results. But in this one, uh, they, they run out George Hill, Eric Bledsoe, Dante DiVincenzo, uh, Chris Middleton and Giannis Antetokounmpo to close out for like the last six minutes or so. Uh, and they really closed out in formidable fashion, uh, taking the Bucks 
to a to a, a handy hand led handily after their uh, effort out on the court. Yeah, it always felt like Charlotte was every time the Bucks would get the game with the Bucks were down four and then get the lead down to one, then Charlotte would hit a three. Or the Bucks would be down five or six, get the lead down to two, Charlotte hits a three. And that was and I felt confident the whole time that the Bucks would pull out the win. But when it was getting to the third quarter, and I think the Bucks were down eight or ten, I was thinking maybe maybe they don't have this and it was weird but then the bench mob came in they got the game tied at the end of the third were able to somewhat continue that momentum and then it went over to that Giannis uh, center lineup which is a good option for a in case of emergency situation especially if other teams go small um, just because you have good defenders in Bledsoe and Dante you have Giannis still, and then you can, Chris Milton is versatile enough, and actually maybe him guarding fours defensively is better suited to him than guarding threes. Uh, so it's good to see that when Bud wants to go with switching and wants to go with that small ball lineup, he can do it. But it does seem like a breaking case of emergency situation, and it was a combination of Buck stifling defense and Charlotte not able to generate any offense outside of Malik Monk, who always seems to have a good game against Milwaukee and more importantly has a good game and will disappear off the face of the earth for another two, three months. So interesting game to say the least. Lots of star power there, including a couple players from parents, St. Germain and Kylian Mbappe and Neymar, who I guess are huge Giannis fans, which I would not have guessed. Um, But I think with the spectacle, the game being in Paris, possible jet lag, Milwaukee, I would say they looked worse than they did against the Bulls because you knew with the Bulls, they a lot of that was just self-inflicted. While in this game, they just couldn't seem to get going. And Charlotte was able to for the first half, you know, first half and most of the third quarter. I Just a real quick jump in on that lineup that you were talking about, Kyle and Adam, the small lineup. I think that's really compelling because to me, if you look at those five guys, they feel like the five best players on the roster, right? And like, it's a super small lineup because you're working essentially with three guards and kind of like an in-between wing with Chris and then Giannis is to do a lot of cleanup. But, you know, we've talked in the past about maybe Bud will go ahead and maybe he can use Brooke inside as a different offensive look. But I, it is pretty compelling to think of what if we do like a whole bunch of guards and just Giannis is the backup guy. And so I'm not sure if, will actually bust that out ever in the playoffs. I'm not sure. Like you said, it, it didn't really get any sort of run this season up until this past game. And so it worked really well. Now, whether or not that's, again, just a like talent overmatching, but if you're looking for a situation where can we put our five best guys so far this, se- this season onto the floor and see how it works, you know, I think that's a resounding success, at least in the small portion, I would be interested to see if Bud ever goes with it in the future, even if it's just like, again, a blowout or, you know, against maybe some playoff competitions just to see how it works. Cause those are five guys who I think can operate pretty well with the ball in their hands. And that, that gives a lot of dangerous positions for opponents to deal with. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of like what Toronto could do last year. Uh, I mean, they would, they would usually have like Marcus all out there, but um you know, it, with the the three guards, the sort of three headed monsters in the backcourt, able to make a little bit of creation off the dribble, uh, but how they're able to work and flow off one another as as well as their ability to shoot it. Um, really, I think with that lineup, it's going to come down to 
can Eric Bledsoe, if they were to break it out in the playoffs, which I, I, it seems like Philadelphia just requires a completely different like thought process in terms of how you're going to match up with them because they're so weird. But like it would seem like a perfect fit against a team like Boston, which has a lot of those guys who are sort of middling-sized one through four, and then they're just running out, you know, trotting out Daniel Tice or whatever at the five. That would seem like a pretty good um, athletic switchable lineup if they wanted to try that out later. It, I mean, it is also interesting insofar that it did feel like Bud made this change solely, like you were saying, Kyle, in terms of the break in case of emergency. So it was sort of like his back was up against the wall and he wanted to try something different. So like for a little while, this lineup was similar to this and except for Pat Connaughton was in for one of these guys, I forget who. Um, so like it was also a, a case of Bud making a change and trying something different. But like you've stated before, Riley, only when then it's like completely necessary will he switch and adapt to something like that. Yeah, and that makes it difficult. Like we've talked in the past about it's hard to get a hold on what Bud's strategy is because I think he is so set on the system. And we've talked before that this system is really good. But, you know, it would be nice if we did something like this with a little bit more regularity. Again, the balance is you don't have to do it every single game. Like, did you need to do it against the Bulls? Probably not. Did you, like, against the Hornets, cool that you did it. Like, just picking and choosing your spots, and we just have to assume and hope that they've worked on these at least a little bit within practice or just conceptually talking about it. Um, and then, you know, the other issue is if he does go with these lineups, it's one thing to put those guys out there, but is he also changing the strategy, like the way that these guys approach her? Is this still going to be a five out and we'll let Giannis work and we'll see how it goes from there. So, you know, again, it would be nice to have a bit more of a track record to go off of, but I'm willing to take the occasional one like this where it ends up working out and hopefully Bud will take that on and say, okay, you know, this is something we might be able to use in the future. And he's a little more comfortable doing it against, you know, upper level competition. Yeah, I did think it was interesting, Kyle, that Pat Conton kind of got injected back into the lineup. Feels like he does kind of, he is sort of the guy who can be in for a while, then he's out for a while, then he's in for a while, then he's out for a while. Because it doesn't feel like Sterling Brown is going to you know, take that mantle anytime <laughs> no. soon. No, he's not. Unfortunately not. And it could be that Pat Conton is similar in how Dante plays in terms of active on defense, which sometimes we bemoan because he'll try and block shots that, he didn't need to do and he could have just stayed on his feet and contest the shot instead. So maybe it was more of an energy type of play, but how long Pat Conant is in the lineup, I don't know. Could be another game or two. Could end up being trade bait. Who knows between him and Sterling Brown and DJ Wilson, I could not predict what their futures are going to be in the next couple of weeks, but it does seem like Conant will possibly be integrated back into the lineup for the short stretch. Yeah, and I, I we're not going to do a full Dante's Inferno, but I just want to shout out that insane steal he had uh, running down the court where he like leaped into the air, grabbed a two handed, and then did like a one handed behind the back toss back into the the court. That was that was pretty insane. He does so much stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I also wanted to say I felt really sad for Nick Batum. I put him as the uh, in uh, in classic Adam fashion making a right call. I put him as the player to watch. On the Hornets, and he uh, had, he had five points in front of his fellow Frenchman, one for eight from the field. And I, I didn't realize how bad he's been um, this yeah, year. Yeah, he's he looks really out of shape too. Like not I'm, not in a good way, unfortunately. Like 
if I was a Hornets fan, I mean, I wouldn't have been happy when we gave him the contract, but you would hope maybe there's some room to grow. But like his averages this year are 3.6 points per game, (laughs) 4.5 rebounds and three assists. And he's only played 22 games. So he's clearly been hurt or whatever, but like, Oh my God, that yeah, is that so one did awful. not age well. And I think it does. He still have like another season after this on that. I'm pretty sure he does. Oh, I'm Which, looking uh, it up right now because yeah, it, oh. it's not great. Now you want to talk it's about not pretty. <laughs> you want to talk about Paris nightlife undefeated? Here's I'll give him I'll give him a stick or a, a, a rope to kind of pull himself out of the quagmire with. Oh. It's, what? How much is he so still? It's, he has a player option for next year for 27 million. <laughs> I think he might exercise right. He might pick that one up. Uh, the one upside is because he is a Frenchman, I would have to assume that even though the Bucks probably, and by the Bucks, I mean led by Chris Middleton, probably found the clubs in Paris. Nick Batum also speaks French fluently, and I'm, you know, being from France, I'm sure he has more of a, a you know, idea where the nice clubs are at. So maybe he had an even bigger outing than Chris Middleton. Tough to top, but maybe that's what was uh, had him <laughs> struggling. I, I feel uh, like Friday. Nick Batum wouldn't have gone out in Paris. They would have gone to some outskirts city, like a city outside of Paris, because Batum would have been like, nah, there's too many tourists here. This isn't, this isn't where you want to go. I know the places to go. Kind of like if someone, you, if you were to go to New York City and you're asking your friend that lives there, hey, what's the best like food place? They're probably going to send you to the hole-in-the-wall spot. They're not going to send you to you know, the Hell's Kitchen, Glitz and Glamour kind of place. Yeah, maybe Tony Parker. I saw there was video of Tony Parker hugging George Hill. Maybe we send Tony Parker in as like a a secret agent, like a like a shadow agent to get the Hornets to have a really good time or something. Which, if that's the case, did not pay off because that was a horrific three quarters of basketball. So good job, Tony Parker. That's what we're paying you to do. Um, any comments upon a missed plane gate? Um, for uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was clearly having a meeting with the Lakers. So if I was to take a wild, <laughs> wild guess, no. All right, that has been a vulture talk for this week. Um, <laughs> we okay, so the, the the next news that kind of filled the airspace between these uh, the couple of days that we had between games this past week, uh, Giannis, unsurprisingly, selected as a All Star captain for the second year in a row. Um, you know, it's 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 pretty cool. I feel like I'm probably feel like I'm taking it for granted at this point, probably like I do with the fact that the Bucks are on pace for a historic winning record. Um, but pretty awesome, Kyle, that we get to see Giannis go on live TV. He obviously had some great, great uh, chemistry with LeBron doing the draft last year, and I, I'm pretty excited we get to see that again. Yeah, it'll be fun. I don't think there's going to be any tampering comments this time, but... That was uh, it so is... funny. Oh, my God. It was so funny. <laughs> well, it's not like he was trying to be funny. It was just like a very casual incident tampering. It's like... Okay, that's the funniest moment, though. It's when you're not trying to be funny. <laughs> I like how LeBron had to like awkwardly laugh through it, too. That was one of the greatest of all time moments from Giannis. We're going to put that on the Hall of Fame highlight reel for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. But, no, it's interesting with the starters that are out there because I don't know who Giannis would draft first because I thought about it, and it seems like Luka would be the obvious choice would potentially I could see him also taking Embiid because I think Giannis drafted Embiid last year as well so those two are the guys I'm thinking he would take but it is kind of we are kind of taking it for granted this is how he's gone from maybe we'll get an all-star to maybe Giannis can be captain to Giannis is running away with the votes 
And what what was he like the second? I think he led all the voting this year, right? Or did he still? Uh, he so, was second. So LeBron LeBron got the most votes, and so LeBron will have the first pick. Okay. It seemed like Giannis wasn't that far off, though. So that's even more impressive that he's still getting all of this buzz. Just because last year you could see, well, let's try and get him to be captain. And now this year, it's there's no one in the Eastern Conference that is even close to his star power. And maybe when Kevin Durant comes back, that'll change. But yeah, it's pretty impressive to be that highly regarded throughout the whole league. And sometimes it does help squash people's opinions that the national media doesn't care about the Bucks and all this stuff. And I think it changes. This helps kill that narrative, at least, because you have the second leading vote getter in all the NBA. And the only person that's ahead of you is potentially the greatest player ever. Yeah, jumping in real quick, I think all that is true. And it, like you said, just reinforcing the point, like, you know, this isn't the NBA of even like the 2000s, or early 2010s. Like you can be in the city in Milwaukee and the way that the media and social media ecosystem works, you can still have an impact and a lot of resonance. And it's not even just obviously his personality is really likable. It's, you know, his game is very exciting. It translates well to what people like to see. Um, so I think, you know, just well-deserved to him. I think, you know, it would have been shocking if anybody else in the East would have been able to garner as many votes. And I agree that it, it will be interesting to see who he drafts. Like, you know, if you go for Luca, it's like, oh, is that his first nod that he's going to the Mavericks? So, so either we're going to get a ton of good vulture talk out of it, or he's going to be totally boring and be like, uh, like choose Kawhi as like, we're going to, I don't they don't even have beef, but maybe he'll be like, oh, well you keep your enemies close or something. So I think that'll be interesting, and hopefully, I think it looks at this point that Chris will probably end up getting another All Star nod. So, you know, to have them re- reunited as long as LeBron doesn't pull the ultimate like Godfather move and draft Chris in front of him or or something like that. But uh, assuming that's not the case, I well, let's do a trade again. Oh yeah, didn't they? I think he Giannis traded and beat away, which is no, he traded uh, Ben Simmons. Oh yeah, that's a boss move. Good for Giannis. Hopefully, he does that again. <laughs> so, so we'll see. But I, I think it'll be fun, and obviously, it's a really good event for Giannis because his personality fits well with it. So it'll be cool. Yeah, I'm glad they get to draft starters though, too, because I think the West would wa- just like wipe the floor with the East. Um, <laughs> I do but- not need to see Giannis shackled to Trey Young. I mean, <laughs> Trey Young. I'm not going to get in an argument about whether he deserves to be there, but. Uh, you're not going to be getting as many shot attempts of Trey's on your team. So for sure, avoid that if you can, Giannis. I guess I had no issue with Trey Young being an all-star starter because you look at the rest of the backcourt players, and unless you put Ben Simmons there, there's not really that many other options. Kembo deservedly got it. You can maybe consider Kyrie, but he's only played 11 games this year, so that doesn't seem right. I'm not, I don't think you know Kyle Lowry or... I don't know who else is in the backcourt for these. That's worth a damn. So it's, I guess just, they, tough. it's just tough yeah. to justify who else could have gotten it. And the only argument I can support is giving that spot to Jimmy Butler, which oh, that would have been fine, but they listed Jimmy as a frontcourt player. So, you know, it kind of sucks in that regard. Yeah. Here's how the voting just broke down for the East frontcourt. It was, or sorry, backcourt, Trey Young, Kemba, Kyrie, Derek Rose, Kyle Lowry, Zach Levine, Ben Simmons, Bradley Beal, Jalen Brown, and then it's a lot of other people. So those yeah. were the other contenders. Eric Bledsoe. Um, I think uh, I, I, I uh, 
I don't know if I had a thought and now I can't remember what it was. All-Star game. Uh, oh, I, I guess the main thing that I come away with is uh, it kind of reinforces that even becoming a starter, like in the All-Star game, it is quintessentially a popularity contest, which is cool. Like that's what it's there for. But I do not put a lot of stock or weight into the fact of a guy getting All-Star not starter or reserve or whatever it is. Like, you know, if you don't make it, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. And of course, we got the um, full the voting results from that. Just wanted to point out a couple um, interesting people who got player votes from the Bucks. Uh, Dragon Bender got a vote from the players. That's a self vote. <laughs> that is what we call a self vote. There. Um, if you're looking at some other players, uh, Thanasis got six. So um, credit to him. Benchmark. Uh, well, Yad has probably voted for him. So did Costa. So that's two votes right there. Yeah, that is true. Then Thanasis voted for himself. <laughs> um, so three. Brooke got nine, so credit to him. Feels low, um, personally, but I, I don't think he ever really had a, a, a real shot, probably, of getting an all star berth. Um, and then Pat Connaughton and Dante DiVincenzo and Wes Matthews all got uh, some form of player vote. So, so kudos to those guys. Dante got one, Connaughton won. So, my question, my question is, how far down the roster? Like, do the two way guys also get votes? Like, where was Cam putting his vote? Where was Frank's vote? So that that would be interesting to me, though. Obviously, we're not going to get a chance to see who voted for who, but that would be kind of cool to see what's up. Well, don't worry, I have Cam Reynolds. Um, <laughs> I have him on the list here. Okay, great. I know he got no player votes. Uh, <laughs> but if he's on the list, that would seem to indicate that. Uh, well, you know what. Cam's a good teammate. He didn't vote for himself. He voted for one of his teammates. So I think that's a, a testament to his character. And I'm glad he's on the roster for that reason. Yeah. Well, but here's here's a cool thing. He got more fan votes than uh, Chandler Hutchison on the Bulls. <laughs> so, but l- less than Dylan Windler on the it, Cavaliers. Anyway. Put it in the Raptors. <laughs> Up to the Raptors for that one. Well done, Oshkosh. Well done. Yeah, good job, Oshkosh. Oh, man. Boy, these get silly down here. Okay. Yeah, a lot of them. I'm. It's so. Can you guys remind me? I know this is just for everybody else, just for everybody's reference. It's the coaches who pick the reserves, or I believe it is, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. then if there's like an injury thing, then Adam Silver picks whoever the replacement is. Right. Yeah. I I would again. You know, I think once you get down to the reserves, it's probably a little bit more accurate. I would say now, obviously, coaches still have their blind spots and probably favorite players or styles they're looking for. But, you know, I, I think I don't think any of us have a doubt that Chris is going to make it. And I don't think Eric will make it just because he's still kind of come and go in terms of output. But uh, it'll be interesting to see who else kind of makes it because it seems like the East, it'll be a little bit more difficult to pick the rest of the roster. But, you know, I'm sure the coaches will do fine. Absolutely, and hopefully we'll find out if uh, Chris Middleton will make it. Hopefully he will, uh, and then he can join Giannis on the all-star team. So we're going to take a quick break here. On the other side of it, we're going to talk some potential fake trades. Um, we, of course, we have to talk about Zion Williamson's debut, um, and then I'm just kidding about that. But then and then we're going to go into our, our close out the week with our wrap-up questions and preview the week ahead, so stay tuned. All right, we are back, and we are going to be doing a little fake trade talk, fellas. The trade deadline's coming up in just about two weeks, and uh, I asked each of you to do a little homework and come with uh, a fake trade idea. And I think my main takeaway from doing this exercise, which I think will will sort of be the main takeaway that we all had, was it's really, really hard to find a fake trade that makes sense for the Milwaukee Bucks. 
uh, at this point. Um, we all tried to maybe do some blockbuster ones, but we wound up with ones that were a little more, I wouldn't say not flashy, but, uh, <laughs> you know, they're not quite as exciting as trading for a Chris Paul. But uh, we're going to have you lead off, Riley, with your, your fake trade. So I should preface this by saying that this fake trade is not my own fake trade. I, I'm sorry, guys, I failed you, but I went ahead and I trolled uh, Last Firstism, a commenter on Brew Hoop, and a really good Twitter follow as well. If you want to go find him, it's literally spelled how it sounds. Um, he's been tweeting out a lot of different, pretty compelling, like low-level trades. And so one that caught my eye when I was looking around was uh, the proposal. This is a three-team trade, and this is, again... Like you were saying, unless you go for like an Eric Bledsoe trade, which is still even difficult because he doesn't make a ton of money, hard to find the blockbuster. So in this case, my priority was to get DJ Wilson out if we can and to move the Indiana pick because I don't think that's going to be super valuable for the Bucks. Now, the Bucks, who they're getting in this trade is Dario Sarge from the Suns and Patty Mills from the Spurs. Uh, Patty makes 12.4 million this year and 13.3 million next year. Um, the guys the Bucks are sending out are DJ Wilson and Sterling Brown to the Suns, and then Urson and uh, Dragon Bender to the Spurs. So my rationale for this is, I'm not sure whether or not we can rely on Urson as like the go-to guy in the playoffs now. My main concern there is more so defensively than offensively, and I'm not sure if Sarge solves all the problems there defensively as they would uh, more on the offensive end, but you get a little bit younger there. You get to try out a younger guy to see if this works. Maybe you can... It's kind of like a second attempt at the Nikola Miritich last year where maybe they could have brought him back at the right price, and maybe that could work out here as well. Patty Mills, to me... um, you know, I think everybody gives him his due. He's a really compelling player on both ends of the floor, but especially offensively. I thought he would be interesting as an insurance policy guy in case Eric doesn't show up or if Dante struggles, then you have George as a primary guard and then kind of you can put Patty in there. Now, obviously, that's a lot of guards to have uh, in your core, so that might be problematic. Why those other teams would do it, that's a really good question. I have no idea why, <laughs> but I didn't consider that too much. So the Suns, obviously, uh, maybe they avoid having to pay Dario. They can see if they like DJ and Sterling. And then for the Spurs, that's another one where uh, you kind of have some backup uh potential like veteran minutes at a forward you have the cap flexibility if you just want to get off of patty's money and get rid of ursan next season and then bender can be their reclamation project and you know i I can't tell which one of those teams would need the indiana first or draft picks to make it happen i'm sure they would but again like i said darius arch and patty in dj sterling ursan and bender out to kind of freeze up roster spots too so what do you think I, I mean, I like. <laughs> you. I don't see. I don't hear resounding. Like, yeah, let's go for it. Yeah, go ahead. I Kyle. think getting Patty Mills would be a good move. Um, he would be the guy that, if the Bucks were to make a lower level type of trade, Patty Mills would be the perfect guy to get because if Eric Bledsoe has another train wreck of a playoff series, then you can go to Patty Mills along with George Hill as your two guards, and I would feel comfortable with that. Um, Sarge, I'm, I've never been the big, big Sarge guy. I think he was, especially his rookie year when they were trying to campaign for his award, it was just a lot of empty stats, but it's worth a flyer. Mate, is he better than Urson? I don't know. I think it would be, you know, an even trade. It, it'd just be tough with trying to justify 
having a guy like Sarge who defensively might is worse than Ursad and offensively maybe he provides more than Ursad will, but defense again, defensively I that's where I come back to because he will likely get minutes at the four when Jan sits out and potentially could even guard fives if Bud wants to go with a smaller lineup. So I'm not sure about Sarge, but Patty Mills sign you up. I would be thrilled about that. Yeah, I like um I like the Patty Mills part of it a lot. I, I agree with Kyle in that respect. I maybe we can just cut the Suns out completely. We'll just let's we'll just hold on to Ursan. We'll just cut them out completely. <laughs> I so when I was thinking about this exercise, yeah so when you guys were thinking about this, who what were you thinking the Bucks would get? Like what would they try and upgrade? Because I when I kept looking around at other teams, I had a hard time feeling like, oh, this is exactly what the Bucks need. This is like perfect for who they get and I so I had a really hard time trying to figure out what it is exactly that the Bucks want uh, and I guess in this case in your your case Riley for this trade it's an Ursan replacement yeah uh, I'm and, so, for, so for me when I've been thinking about this team all season like as great as they've been in the regular season when I look at the ro- rotation you and I Adam like two weeks ago talked about what's going to be Bud's rotation and obviously I love Ursan. Everybody loves Ursan. Like, how can you not? The guy's a, a franchise legend. Some, somehow he's become a franchise legend. But I'm still a little concerned, depending, and a lot of this, again, is matchup dependent. But I would be, if I'm looking at the rotation, the one question mark of guys that I'm for sure thinking but will play is Ursan. And yes, maybe those are only like 15 minutes. But those are 15 minutes where a team with like an athletic wing or an athletic forward might be able to just pick on Ursan the entire time. Now, Ursan and Giannis have been paired up a lot, so Giannis helps cover for it. And obviously, Ursan's still got it with when it comes to taking charges, or he's still pretty good offensively. So it's not like you need to do this for the sake of replacing it. But if I was to choose a guy who I wanted to get a slight upgrade, it would probably be the backup, you know, forward position. So Ursan spot. Okay. I, 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 that's what I kind of landed on too. And I think this is a good chance to talk about Kyle, your trade idea. Cause I think you had sort of a similar in a similar vein, an idea to upgrade on her song. Yeah. My toughest part with this trade was kind of what the bucks don't really have anything they need to upgrade. It's more, can they add players in case guys like Bledsoe, Ursan, George Hill, Dante, they West even, they just fall apart and just have a terrible series. So when I was doing the trade, this is very, it's very bland. I will be the first to admit that, but the bucks would get Rashawn Holmes and Yogi Ferrell from the Sacramento Kings. And they would send over Ursan Indies first and Sterling Brown. And the re- my reasoning was Rashawn Holmes is capable of guarding fours and fives. He's not really going to provide anything offensively. He's having a decent season for Sacramento and surprisingly isn't a complete plus minus train wreck again, despite being on the Sacramento Kings. Um, he always seemed like a solid guy when he was over in Philly and he was part of some bad Philly teams as well. So I just thought of him as you can swap him for Urson. The salary is relatively even. You still have another year of that. And then I with Yogi Ferrell, I did that trade as kind of like how Riley was doing with Patty Mills is in case Bledsoe is an absolute mess. You can have Yogi Ferrell come in, provide, you know, five, ten minutes, let Bledsoe try and clear his head, or you can just give the remaining of those minutes to George Hill, let him take on more of a load. So it's kind of an emergency option for a point guard in terms of the Kings, why they would do this trade. 
Sterling Brown is in a terrible piece, and you get a first-round pick. And they're also the Kings, so they don't do smart things anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of where my trade was going. So it was upgrading on Earth on, on the defensive end. I kind of, I, I, I kind of like the Rashawn Holmes. I can see him, especially if Bud decided to do any of like the Ursan Giannis lineups. I like those lineups defensively a lot more with Rashawn Holmes and Ursan in there. Um, so I don't mind that, and I, I kind of like getting the emergency point guard as well. I'm not, sh- yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if they would pull the trigger on that, but I could, I could see the Bucks, Bucks wanting to do that if they wanted someone who's a little more springy, a little more athletic. Yeah, that almost like a. I don't know, like, it depends on how much the Kings believe in Rashawn Holmes. And didn't the Kings also have, like, a contract dispute with Yogi Ferrell, or was that with the Mavs when he broke through with them? I can't remember what it was, but obviously, like you said, the Kings are in disarray, but does that feel like maybe a little bit of an overpay on Milwaukee's part? Like, trying let me... probably is. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's again the difficulty with all these trades are unless you're going to try and find some sort of blockbuster, which is difficult to do as it is. Like trying to figure out the right value, I think the Bucks are going to end up paying over the top. Unless in my case, in which you're getting both Dario and Patty Mills, so we could circle back around in my trade. But I think it's difficult to find like a rotation backup guy and not overpay. And like the Indy first, I think the value of that drops by the day because Indiana's going to turn out to be a, like a decent-ish team. So it's probably going to convey but not be a great pick. And so if you throw it in and you get like some decent Rashawn Holmes minutes in the playoffs, I think that would be great. But it's it's a hard exercise. I, I think the deal would be fine. I'm not sure if I have any like sort of protest to it or anything. Yeah, I think it also just takes having to try and figure out what you're going to pay Sterling Brown and what to do with Ursan's option. You kind of just, it takes it out of your hands at least. So then you're not having, especially with Sterling Brown, because you could talk yourself into him being a decent role player that could get a little lower than what Tony Snell got. But we also haven't seen enough to justify paying him that same level. It's really difficult. So it just takes that, issue out of your hands and you let the Kings decide to pay Sterling Brown $12 million a year. <laughs> I hope he makes that much money. I pray for Sterling that he makes that much money. Yeah. I, my trade is, is equal. I would say my trade might be, but I think my trade is the least exciting of all of these. Definitely less exciting than yours, Riley. Uh, I have the bucks trading DJ Wilson and Sterling Brown to the Pistons bucks East um, and getting back Markeith Morris who has another year left on his contract at 3.2 million and our old friend, Tim Frazier. Uh, and my rationale was, I would say, so I didn't throw in Urson um, because I didn't feel like the Pistons would want to do that. Um, but I, I liked having a guy who might be a little more athletic than Urson, who they could throw out at the four potentially also weirdly like the idea, even if he's like probably worse than definitely worse than Marcus, he's still shooting like, pretty well from three. He was at around like 30, 38%, I believe. Um, and I like the idea of having a Morris on our team in the playoffs. Uh, I don't know why he just, it seems like some guy who's going to mess around and maybe get in some dude's head and be able to be butch up enough to, to guard some of those, those big, big forwards that the Bucks might face um, should they get to the NBA finals or in the Eastern conference finals. He'd definitely be most likely of the guys to actually get in a fist fight with an opposing player. And so <laughs> we would be able to save Eric from doing that. 
Uh, <laughs> the issue with doing a deal with the Pistons is I have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> like, <laughs> so like DJ and Sterling. So I think we can pretty much, we're seeing a pretty broad outline is one of those two guys or both of those guys is getting moved. And the problem is I have no idea I think DJ has zero value. Like it's a, it's negative value at this point. So you're trying to sweeten it by saying, Hey, Sterling is okay. So sort of like he, he might be all right. So the difficulty is I'm not sure if the Pistons are go for that. So I think that would be a good deal. Any sort of upgrade where I don't think Sterling's going to be playing this year. And I don't think he's going to be paid by the bucks. I, I think they want to avoid that, which is fine. Cause that's a tough contract to swallow. It, it's just that's kind of a risky spot for them. And so if they're able to get any sort of upgrade out of those two, you absolutely do it. And I think, you know, Markeith is kind of that, even if, you know, hit or miss, we'll see he's playing not as well as his brother, but probably okay. Um, so I, I think it's a good trade for Milwaukee from that, just because you're turning negative assets into like a single positive, even if it's for two years, but that's two years of depth where, Maybe even then you let Ursan go, like you can free up a little space there as well. So I, I think that would give Milwaukee good flexibility. So I kind of like that trade. Okay, so I feel like the the the, the overarching point, which I kind of want to talk about these a little more. Like you were kind of talking, you were getting at this, Riley. Is it feels it's very feel, felt very hard to make a trade with this Milwaukee Bucks team. Ursan is is nice to put in a lot of these trades because he like makes that sweet amount of of money, like seven yeah. million. Um, whereas we didn't really put any of the main guys into any trades. And I feel like out of the start, let's say like the six best players or whatever, Middleton, uh, Giannis, Bledsoe, Lopez, and Hill. Um, I feel like out of those guys, the five best players out of those guys, like I can weirdly see Eric getting moved before George Hill would get moved. What do you think if they were to do like a big trade? Yeah, probably. I think that would probably coincide with one, we have the track history. Two, Eric is going to get paid more. Three, you know, even though Eric gets the starting nod for obvious reasons because of what he's capable of, I think if you put a, you know, God forbid you had to threaten, but let's let's uh, <laughs> let's phrase it that way. Let's say you had to threaten Bud to choose one or the other. I think he would choose George Hill all day, every day, in terms of like who would be his guy. So I think if they were to choose one asset the over, it, it would definitely be Eric Bledsoe. But then, if that's the case, then you have to find a team that needs a guard and is like, you know, interested or intrigued by what he does. And obviously, like he's a good player who does a lot of good things. But um, it, and actually, kind of thinking about it do you it's interesting with george hill because i you're really rolling the dice where i'm not sure if he's going to continue at this pace for even the rest of the season much less the next two years on his contract now i know the third year is only partially guaranteed so you only have to pay him for essentially this year and next but you know is there a possibility to toss him in and maybe like we're just gonna roll with dante as the backup guard but he's not really a true point guard so i think maybe George Hill would have been a compelling piece to look at somewhere. But it, like you said, it's they're really tied up with what they can do. And if you move Ursan out because he makes the right amount of money, Ursan plays a big enough role where you have to directly look for the replacement. And I'm not sure if there's anybody on the roster. And then again, you're guessing like maybe somebody in the buyout market would be able to do that, which is, again, a risk. So I think this is interesting because it feels like we all went to try and, you know, improve those Ursan minutes. But I would have said before the season started that I was looking, if I were the Bucks, I would be basically trying to improve 
the Wes Matthews slot because he he seems like a great placeholder. Uh, he can do some decent stuff, but I still feel most iffy about him in the lineup. Um, but it seems like at this point the Urson part is is more fillable, and I think it's partially because uh, like Dante Divincenzo has stepped up so far this year. So like, why Kyle did you think Urson was the minutes that we should try to improve over like a guy like Wes Matthews? I think it's mainly because after Giannis is going to play 40-something minutes, assuming the games aren't blowouts. But what you do in those few minutes that Giannis sits are going to be vital. And having Urson out there, I don't know if I feel 100% confident in him, especially against more athletic forwards. Some teams, you can get away with that, but I'm thinking of a team like Miami with Bam Adebayo, and I don't like those odds. Maybe Philly. That, that might get ugly them. quick. Pascal Siakam quick. roasted Urson last year too, so that's another Eastern team where they have a direct guy. It's like okay, if if other teams are willing to run their dues a lot more minutes than Bud has ever shown himself willing to be, there are going to be Giannis sit minutes, and if that's the case, I could definitely see, like you're saying, Kyle, another coach be like, all right, you're just gonna go kill Urson for the next five minutes, and we're gonna put up like another 15 points or something just to scratch away at the lead or you know com- improve our lead or whatever. Yeah, and I think with the wing depth, it's a little bit better. If Wes Matthews struggles offensively, you know defensively he's still able to contribute on the court. While with Ursan, if his shots aren't falling, he can't really contribute as much. And considering the backup options, yes, you could go to Pat Connaughton. Yes, you could go to Sterling Brown. Yes, you could give more minutes to Dante, but that might not be the most advisable thing to do. So that's why I think Ursan was more likely... I wouldn't be surprised if Eric Bledsoe got traded, but my only issue with trading Bledsoe is there's not really there's not really any point guards out there that are better than Bledsoe that would make sense as a trade you do. You could do Chris Paul, who probably and likely is a better player than Eric Bledsoe, but that contract is absolutely disgusting. It will not help Milwaukee at all, and his health also is something you have to put into question. You could look at Drew Holiday, but again health is going to be an issue and that contract is still not as good as Bledsoe's. Bledsoe has a really good contract so you can maybe try and wait out and see what's available even after the summer. Whether Milwaukee wins the title, doesn't win the title, makes the finals or not. You can trade Bledsoe during the summer and probably get a more enticing package than the two point guards out there that I've seen the most in terms of Chris Paul and Drew Holiday. So I think that's why I'm looking at Ursan as the most likely to be traded, Ursan and Sterling Brown. I think they'll keep DJ Wilson just because I don't know if there's really a market out there that makes sense to trade him for. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. The last thing I wanted to touch on is you were talking about the the indie first, which is of course the the basically the the best sweetener that the books have for any of these trades. Do you think they absolutely like need and should trade that? for this trade deadline, Riley, or do you think they might just hold on to it knowing that guys like they're going to lose Corver, probably lose Brown if they don't want to pay him, maybe lose Connaughton as well after this season? Do you think they might just hold on and be thinking, we need like one more, we need a cost-controlled guy in the backcourt we can start to develop? I think that's a really interesting question. Part of the issue for me when evaluating draft picks, and I think that's for like 99% of the population out there, no matter how much people, you know, crown themselves as basketball experts, I have no idea what kind of players are available in the 20s. Like if there are any sort, I've seen names. And if you watch enough YouTube highlights, you can sell yourself on literally any single player. So I think it really comes down to 
how confident does Horst feel in finding a guy who would actually provide? Because, you know, this is this is very much like the LeBron Cleveland Brooklyn pick of two years ago, where you know we can either move this pick right now and see if we can get some sort of reinforcements, or we can hold on and that could be like our insurance policy. And you know, it's even worse in this situation, not worse, but. I think you're putting yourself at even worse odds if it's like a pick in the 20s to use that as your insurance. And yes, having a cost-controlled guy is cool. But to me, I think you do the opposite of what the Cavs did. And if you have this tool here to potentially like slightly upgrade the team in the very short term, just because we don't know where Giannis is going to be at in two years, I think you have to move it one way or another just because you know, to me, that's, that's, that's a, too much of a roll of the dice in my opinion, especially because if, even if you do get a guy, he's not going to be helpful next season more than likely. And after that, if he's going to be useful, who knows if Giannis is even going to be here. So to me, I think you move it again. The problem is who do you attach it to and how do you make it work in terms of salary? So we'll see, but I, I would prefer that they get it out of the, you know, out of the asset chest. Yeah. Do you have a stance on that Kyle? It is just tough because a lot of times in players in their 20s, you hope that they're just a decent role player. Sometimes you get a Rudy Gobert. Sometimes you get a Pascal Siakam. But most of the time, you're going to get you know a Timothy Luau-Cabaret who has bounced around team to teams now on a 10-day contract. Or you get a Bryce Johnson who isn't in... Like, you get guys that aren't in the league. So the issue with getting a pick in the 20s is unless you somehow can develop that player or you get a player that has shown that they are ready to step in and give you valuable minutes. You most of the time you're kind of just punting and hoping for the best with a pick in the twenties and even any pick that's not in the lottery. And again, you get lucky sometimes, but if you have a chance to trade it to get a surefire NBA player, you have to do it because yeah, having draft picks and ask draft picks is great and all, but if the draft picks don't work out, then you've wasted time and money. And if you, I, I look at the Boston Celtics as a prime example, they kept sitting on these assets, sitting on these assets of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and they had all these assets, and now they don't have anything really to show for it. That's where you kind of dig yourself in that hole, is if you try and treasure these assets that you think are going to be great, and no, and you don't really cash in on them for surefire things, and now you're sitting with, players that yeah they're good but now you've paid them much more than they might be worth and you're not moving the needle in that regards yeah i mean it's i think it's a fascinating debate i'd I'd be so curious to see what kind of conversations are happening inside the front office i'd love to be a fly on the wall to try and think about what sort of uh, their expected value is of that pick right at the moment and and their their logic and whether they should try and flip it or, or, you know, what they, what it is they want to do with it. So, well, here's, here's my final thing on that. You cannot put me in the position to have to go through the Malcolm Brogdon drama and not use that to improve the team. So John horse, if you're listening, do the right thing. Let's <laughs> just bury fair. this. Let's bury it. Let's get rid of the pick. Let's get an upgrade and let's just get it over with. Let's just do it right now. I don't, all, all it's going to be is whoever the player is that gets picked. If he, if he's like a guard or something, Oh my God! It's good. His entire career is gonna be like, well, Malcolm would have been doing this or that. So, with luck, we'll move it on, and we can kind of uh, end the debate right away and uh, not have to worry about it too much. Hmm. I personally hope they keep it, so then we have to wait Ooh. for the entirety of that pick's career uh, before we yeah, can yeah, evaluate yeah, yeah. the trade. You know, 
So. It is. It, it's a lot more fun, obviously, to be involved in the draft and have a guy who is like an unknown. So from that perspective, it would be helpful for our conversation's sake. But, you know, we'll end up seeing whether or not it goes one way or another. Also, for the purposes of coverage on Brew Hoop, selfishly, I would like it so that when I do the and all of our loyal readers do the uh, draft countdown up to like 30 this year or whatever, <laughs> yeah. and we don't have a pick, it would just be really nice if we can all kind of, you know, come together and actually have something to talk about that night. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's really interesting. I, I actually, I, I was joking when I said, I think they should pick it. I think it makes a lot more sense to move it if they can find the right asset, given that was essentially seemed to be the logic uh, behind why they, got rid of Malcolm as they were able to get an asset and they figured they could get something better and improve on it. But I don't know who knows, maybe they think Dante DiVincenzo and uh, another young guy in the backcourt is better than Malcolm regardless. Um, and Wes Matthews, I don't know. Um, anyway, so we'll, we'll have answers pretty soon on that though. Trade deadline's going to come here. It's, it's basically here before we know it. So we've got two more weeks. Um, but so stay tuned. We'll obviously be talking about any chatter that's happening. Been pretty quiet so far. Um, all right, guys, let's do some rapid fire questions. And I prepared them for you today. Okay. We are going to start with, uh, you can go first on these, Riley. Um, favorite giveaway you've ever gotten at like a professional sports game? Ooh, that's a good question. So like the items that you get on the way in or whatever? Yeah. Hmm. I think not sure if i've ever gotten one i think i got oh, something oh. like well <laughs> so it's not like a sad thing i just didn't go to those games uh maybe uh, no i think i got like a robin yount bobblehead but like the novelty items don't really do it for me now not a professional sporting event but i did win a giveaway at our local high school theater for like a gift basket of i don't even remember what the items were i think it was just like a bunch of like little goodies like candies and stuff so if i was to choose something it would probably be that over whatever i got at a sports game fair enough kyle i would say probably a buck scarf last year at the st patrick's day game that was pretty cool i'm a big scarf person um both in terms of collecting soccer team scarves and also just for wearing yep so getting a bucks one was pretty cool and it was actually like decent quality as well that's awesome Oh, would, would you say ahead. your favorite Adam was that seventy sixers bead necklace that you got last year? <laughs> yeah, what did it say? Authentic fan or something? Yeah, I yeah. believe it did. Yes, <laughs> that was definitely my favorite. I also forgot. I forgot to tell you guys the um, uh, reflect upon the starting lineup for the London game, um, celebrating the the Bucks anniversary of playing overseas again. Um, I'm afraid to know what the starting lineup is. Um, well. I think you'd be able to guess uh, a good chunk of them. So, okay, I'll just, I'll, I think I'll, I think I have it here. This was well, against the Knicks, right? I remember it. Was it against the yeah, Knicks? Yeah. Yeah. It was, okay. <laughs> it was an abomination. That's all I remember. It was fantastic. My friends and I um, did a, a London theme tonight. We bought, um, <laughs> we fried fish, we made chips, we had uh, Guinness, and then we had some. Some... I like how you're Guinness and that's not even British. <laughs> well, you know what, Kyle? We had to just kind of just like think, you know, <laughs> we had to just try our best. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. Okay. So let's, let's see. Okay. So I'll give you um, f- four of the five starters. Let's see if you can name the fifth. So wait, can you if, tell us what was the year? What was the season? Yes, 2015. Yes. 2015. Yes. So this is okay. um, 2014, 2015. Okay. January of 2015. Okay. So point guard, Brandon Knight. Um <sighs> Small forward, Chris Middleton. Yeah. Uh, power forward, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Center, Zaza Pachulia. 
Yeah. And then can you name the fifth starter? Uh, hold on. So point guard is Brandon Knight. Mm-hmm. Giannis started. Mm-hmm. Zaza Pachulia started. Yep. Chris. Who was the fourth one he said? Chris. Okay, I'm going to guess Jared Bayless. No, 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 no. Actually, no, no, no. Sorry. Jared. No, I'm sticking with Jared Bayless. It's going to be wrong, but. I'm going to guess it was Damian Inglis. Oh, <laughs> Just cause, Or Johnny O'Brien. Maybe it was J- J-O-B. I can't remember. It was J-O-B. It ding, was? Ding, ding. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you guys remember that it was the stretch where they would have J-O-B start, but only play like five minutes? So he had he started in this game. So here's the minutes for the starters. Brandon Knight, 35 minutes. Pachulia, 28. Chris Middleton, 33. Giannis, 33. J-O-B, 10. <laughs> Zero points. Plus 12, mind you, while he was on the court. Um, zero points, 0 of 2 from the field, one rebound, one assist, one turnover, one foul. So um, kudos to uh, J.O.B. O.J. Mayo going off for 22 in that game. Wow. Wasn't that the first season? That was the first year of Greg Monroe being in town too, right? No, that was, such that was a the year before. Oh, okay. Well, either way, I was such like... That was the first the- year of kid. Oh yeah, I don't know. I was every season, like even when the team sucked, I was like, I could talk myself into it. I was like, okay, Greg Monroe is here. We're going up. I remember when Greg Monroe when he signed with us. Oh, like everybody I worked with. I was so excited. I was talking to my brother. I was like, dude, we're we're freaking making it. This is it. We're gonna win the finals. I was wrong. So, but it, he was still a lot of fun to have on the team. So, shout out Greg Monroe. You were cool. <laughs> I love your and one and one yells. It's amazing. I lost my mind when we signed him. I was like, this team is freaking destined. For didn't they? Did, didn't they? Uh, they like had Greg meet with Bill Clinton or something to like secure the deal. Or... <laughs> what a weird operation we run here. So, it's a strange team. So weird. That team was kind of fun though. It had Kendall Marshall. He never played enough. Oh, Kate uh, Butter. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I thought everybody. He was everybody's favorite guard too. I think there was a large. He was like Christian Wood before Christian Wood was even Christian Wood. Yeah, and he was already really unathletic. Then he tore his ACL. And was like, <laughs> you are not ever going to play again in the NBA. Uh, uh, also, Uncle Steve Buck. Novak. <laughs> Uncle Buck, Kenyon Martin, two minutes in that game. Oh, Remember that time? Oh, my God. Kenyon Martin was on the team? Oh, my God. That was yeah, the team made the playoffs? <laughs> oh, 2014-2015. My bad. Okay, sorry. Yeah. I was looking at the wrong roster. Either way, I mean, obviously, it's a bastard of a roster. Like, Jorge Gutierrez was on the team, too. Hey, Jorge Gutierrez put in some yeoman minutes, okay? There were, like, two weeks where I thought playoffs? he might. What happened? <laughs> Okay. Uh, All right. Anyway, I'm, ba- I'm glad I remember that. All right. I got uh, got a few more questions. <clears throat> Favorite cartoon as a, a kid? SpongeBob. Rugrats. All right. <laughs> Wait, what? Sorry. I'm a huge. The art style sucks. I hate it. I hate Rugrats so much. And even like the, then they tried to do Rugrats all grown up, which is just. Okay, that, I mean, that was need... a train wreck. I will. Admit <laughs> that. that was like that was like uh, Gilmore Girls, where they tried to do the refresh or like Full House, oh. but it, it preceded those. So I mean, it was the start of a really bad trend in TV, and uh, I credit that to that and the Rugrats movie. Like everything about that whole franchise, I, I can do without. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I'm not going to allow the Rugrats movie slander to happen, okay? Film review for next week. <laughs> I will I will accept the All Grown Up spinoff, which was bad. And I, I will admit that, but let's leave the movies out of this. <laughs> okay, sounds good. All right. 
some some delightfully hot takes. All right, with the with the Super Bowl upcoming, um, I wanted to know if you have any like favorite Super Bowl recipes or like game day recipes that you like to make. Uh, Kyle, if you have one, you can go first. Not really. Like, I it's weird because most of the time for the Super Bowl, I just go to someone's house and watch, but I'm not really watching. I'm just kind of there to hang out with friends. Like last year, I don't remember watching the game at all. I just had a bunch of chips and dip, and that's it. So, no, I don't really have a Super Bowl recipe or anything. We do this thing called Olay Dip, which is <laughs> horrifically Midwestern. Like, it, <laughs> literally, all it is is a base of cream cheese, a the like jarred green chilies or like whatever canned green chilies, like chili no beans <laughs> from another can, and then cheese on top, and you pop that bad boy in the <laughs> oven, like. <laughs> But we had that every single, like every football game, no matter. And it does taste good. No lie. It's really good. But that was like the food of my childhood or like watching football games with my family. So Olay dip, if you guys, I can <laughs> tweet out the recipe later or something. Oh, you put that together and toss it in the oven for like 10 minutes. It's <laughs> literally all you do. Oh, goodness. Uh, okay. Um, how many cups of coffee do you drink in a normal day? <laughs> I just have one in the morning. I do one mug in the morning, and I just do tea the rest of the day for me. <laughs> Kyle, seems, I'm guessing Kyle does a little bit more than me, though. Um, let's. I'll just say it this way: pre-Sterling, like three. <laughs> Post-Sterling, probably six. Oh, wow. Maybe seven. Dude, so if I have more than one mug of coffee, my heart will race. I'm like, I'm having a heart attack right now. Well. So I wake up and have one at home, and that's like, okay, that's one. And then I get to work, and that's the first thing I do is have another one. And I work, I start work at 8, and I'll probably have, like, one more at about 10 o'clock. So that's how it was before. Now it's just, I need an IV of coffee, basically. Oh, man. That's a lot of coffee. Yeah, I don't know how you do that. I love coffee, though. It's so good. I love the taste of coffee. I'm I like all right to, on it. Yeah, I, I need cream in it, so I'm kind of a yeah. weakling. But, Same. uh. I like to do one in the morning and then I need like one little afternoon to pick me up at like 2 p.m. with like a little sweet beside it. Um, okay. Last one. How many times did it take you to pass your driver's test? <laughs> this is a good question. It took me twice. I The first time I went, perfect driver's test from top to bottom, except I was in a four-way lit intersection and I was supposed to turn left. And you guys know how it is. Everybody knows how it is. You're very cautious inherently while you're doing it because you're scared out of your core that you're going to get everybody killed and or fail. Really good. This We were literally 10 feet away from where the driver's test location was. I was supposed to take a left, and I was taking it too slowly in the intersection, and a semi almost uh, T-boned us. So I failed after that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not wow. good. Oh it was not God. great. So I almost killed the driver instructor. So I understand why she failed me. I I don't hold a regret or uh, any grudge whatsoever. But then I passed the next time, so it was fine. Yeah, I got on the first try, but I was very close to failing, and it was because <laughs> when you have you know when you had the parallel park. Yep. So my issue was it had snowed a couple days prior, so I couldn't find the curb. Oh, so no. as I'm parallel parking, I'm going up the snowbank, and I kind of just like parked it. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of those where if there wasn't snow, I think I went over the curb. And in, th in that situation, it's an automatic fail. <laughs> but because so, of the snow, you're able to like kind of fake your way through it. With the snow, it kind of gave me 
somewhat of an excuse. And it's like the snow like went pretty far into the road. So it was just tough. I couldn't parallel like parallel parking was my biggest nemesis along with the wide turn. Oh. So I, I passed, but it wasn't like I comfortably passed. Sometimes I don't understand that stuff. Like everyone who parallel parks, they almost always hit the curb. You know, they're like, you're going up on it quite often. Also, how many times are you doing a Y turn? Like who, it feels like the most dangerous thing that you could do. Like, hello, can you do a Y turn for me right here? Yep. No, look out in case you get T-boned by a semi coming down the street. Yeah. Here's the thing. Have you guys talked to a 16 year old recently? (laughs) No. Why do we let 16 year olds operate motor vehicles? (laughs) We don't have to get into that, but just the, that's my food for thought this week. Why do we? That's a good box. I'm trying to think of like myself as a 16 year old, and I think I'm relatively responsible. But when I look back, it's like, no, I was not. I was Dude, not. I sucked. I sucked. <laughs> like, why, why would they give me a car? I have no idea. It's a miracle I'm alive. So, shout out to whatever's keeping me <laughs> keeping me alive behind the wheel. Wow. That's a great take. Thanks for those tales. I I thought you were going <laughs> to say what I had, Riley. Where I I did pass my first time, but it was close because I was. I was at a, <clears throat> a four-way intersection and the light was green and there was no traffic coming from the other way. So I could theoretically go, but I had done so much driving on like country bumpkin roads. I didn't know that I could go. So, <laughs> so I'm just like sitting there waiting for the green arrow to come back on. So I like, I can't believe they didn't fail me right then and there for like not knowing a basic part of driving. Um, but thankfully I passed. So <sighs> it's really stressful. I'm glad everybody has their driver's license. Good job guys. All right. Okay, let's look ahead that ahead at the games coming up for the Bucks um, between now and our next recording. So Tuesday, uh, three home games this week. Tuesday they're facing off against the Washington Wizards. Uh, Friday they've got the Denver Nuggets, and then next Sunday they have the Phoenix Suns. Uh, but obviously, most interesting one to me probably is that Denver Nuggets game. Uh, what do you have them going in these games, Riley? I am going to say that they will go two and one, but I'm going to go slightly the opposite. I will say that they will lose to Washington because they will have, I'm sure they flew right back after the fact from Paris, but I think they had even more days to like rest and recover from the like time zone difference and, you know, flight jet lag and everything. So I think they'll lose to Washington if only because they look lethargic on Friday and they're going to have a flight and only the weekend again kind of get back right and then uh denver and phoenix i think will be wins but what'll be most compelling to me is just how well dario sarge does is the auditions for a spot <laughs> bucks rotation so. <laughs> okay kyle what do you have going i'm going three and oh but i don't feel confident about that phoenix game at all <laughs> <laughs> nor should you given last season last year uh... milwaukee lost them twice the game is on sunday afternoon at 1 p.m yeah and the bucks just don't play well during the day I think they still win, but man, if they're going to lose a game. It's going to be that Phoenix one. That's kind of where I landed. Do I, I can see the two and one, but possibly losing to, the, to that Phoenix team on Sunday, 1 p.m. They're probably thinking about the Super Bowl. Make Giannis wants to get his Olay dip ready. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> my mother would be proud if that's the case. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I'm going to go two and one. Um, but in, you know, interesting slate of games. They get a couple Western Conference teams coming into town uh, too on the latter half of the week. So, well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Brew Hoop Podcast. Uh, glad to talk to everyone again. We got the trade deadline coming up. Uh, of course, read all of our stuff on BrewHoop.com. Uh, Mitch Mauer has a couple of great pieces up there talking about uh, Bucks history with the long ball. Uh, also, looking ahead, looking around at some of the other Eastern Conference teams. We'll have the usual uh, Monday morning media roundup from Riley. 
uh, five observations from Brian and uh, and plenty of other stuff uh, on top of our game coverage. So uh, follow us on Twitter at Brew Hoop. Uh, subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends, um, go to the site, share all of our stuff with your friends, share it on Facebook, do all that kind of stuff. So this is Adam Paris signing off for Riley and Kyle. Thanks again for listening.